I'll stay on the porch Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Where you get that from? Grab a mic, spit one Let me hit that blind Pimp C, 8 ball and MJG Keep spitting that P to the IMP Bun B, that's Texas, baby Ballin' G, that's Memphis, baby Short dog, that's Business and Buckets we are live, episode 133, the second to last Business at Buckets episode on this beautiful uh, Tuesday afternoon in the valley, right before I head to jujitsu practice and get my my ass kicked. Um, we're getting ready for the rebrand, splitting the Business at Buckets podcast into two podcasts, one business, one MMA, under the Business and Buckets podcast network. But before we jump in and talk MMA this week, lots of fights announced, a fun fight night card happening this past weekend. We're going to talk to one and only sponsor here at Business at Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So fellas, performance is at the top of the list in the categories of our lives. That's why you need counterattack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, Supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. So let's face it. We all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves. So increase vitality inside and outside the gym with counterattack. The missus will thank you for it. So go to fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code buckets for 15% off. Once again, promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So Dana White basically blew up the internet um, on the day of Francis Ngannou's announcement of, of his signing with the PFL, and he launched an insane card in Salt Lake City for the end of July, which I might be getting tickets for. Uh, some 292 fights, Dana White official, which means that if you see an announcement like this where he's announcing the fights, a lot of what Dana's doing is, one, trying to sell tickets, give people the time to buy the tickets before they go on sale, get hyped about the card. But two is it kind of verbally gets the fighters committed to that time frame, that card. Um, the Sean O'Malley, Aljamain Sterling fight, for example, none of the paperwork signed. I don't even know if Dana's had a legit conversation with Aljamain. It seems like they have, it's been back and forth, but things could happen that these get pushed out. They don't happen, but they're, kind of softly verbally committed to usually, and they're trying to force the issue with the fights being announced. Um, obviously, I think this announcement came on the Nganu day on purpose, which we'll get to, but it doesn't always mean that there's completely finalized, um, you know, written agreements. He kind of flexes his UFC brass power by getting these fights announced um, at a certain time to get the fighters bought in. You know, if the fans are excited, everyone's excited, the, f- the fighter doesn't want to have to change the course. So, the BMF is back. The, ba- the battle for the belt for the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Jorge Masvidal t- retired with it. Dustin Poirier is taking on Justin Gaethje in the rematch to headline the UFC Salt Lake City card, UFC 291. I am so hyped up for this fight. The wars that Gaethje's been in his whole career, Dustin of late. Uh, the original matchup. I mean, this is going to be straight chaos. This is worth the price of admission right here. Guaranteed fireworks. We got Jan Blakovich taking on Alex Pieta. 
Um, that is going to be Alex's first fight at light heavyweight as he takes on the former champion. We'll see if Alex can get that grappling game going. And Jan has fought Glover Teixeira, who, who coaches Alex, so that makes things somewhat interesting as well. Kind of a random fight, but a, a testing of the ability. Paula Costa, with his new contract, is fighting Ikram Alaskarov at UFC 291. We'll see if Ikram has the capability of fighting with the best of the best. Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green, two veterans still looking to you know show out a little bit. That should be a fun one uh, stylistically. We got Michael Chiesa and Kevin Holland going down. Uh, that's a great scrap. Steven Thompson, Michelle Pieta. That the 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 crazy attacks that we're going to see there is going to be um, a must see, and I believe that's on the prelims. We got the Black Beast Derek Lewis taking on Marcos Rogeria de Lima. That's all in UFC 291 in Salt Lake City. And then again, softly announced Sean O'Malley, the Sugar Show, taking his uh, talent to Boston to fight Aljamain Sterling, one of the best bantamweight champions of all time. Potentially Aljamain's last fight at Bantamweight at UFC 292. And then Zhang Wei Li versus Amanda Lemos. This was the fight that I expected Zhang uh, to get for her next fight. There was rumors with um, uh, Shinyon's last win. Potentially that'll happen, but I could see that happening early next year. Benoit Saint-Denis is taking on Vince Pichel July 1st in a fight night card. Jimmy Crew and Alonzo Menafield just had a draw. They're getting a rematch for UFC 290. Zalgas Zumagalov had a late uh, cancellation in his fight. He's turned around quickly to fight Felipe Boons June 17th. Uh, really great scrap for light heavyweight. We have Dustin Jacoby and Kennedy and Shekoku August 5th. Some, some high-level light heavyweights in the top ranks. Virna Jandaroba is taking on Tatiana Suarez. That was the fight I called for. I thought that made a ton of sense. It got ha it got booked up. We have Terrence McKinney taking on Nazim Sadikov July 15th. So T-Rex is back in the octagon. And Albert Duraev versus Junyong Park July 15th. And Jared Gordon filling in in the fight against Jim Miller June 3rd. He's taking on Bobby Green, then Jim Miller, two OGs. Let's see if he can get back in the win column. And even one more, we had Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Kyler Phillips August 5th. This will be an awesome stylistic matchup. I'm assuming it got announced because that'll be post the suspension for Kyler Phillips. And not official. I haven't seen anything super official on it. But Kamzat Chemaev said Dana White has got him the fight with Kamaro Usman, the Nigerian nightmare Kamzat Chemaev. Could you imagine in October in Abu Dhabi? I know the problem is that Chemayev wants to move up. They were thinking about a catchweight bout, but Dana didn't want it to be a catchweight bout. So we'll see what happens. But fights on fights as we get towards the summer months, getting in towards the fall as well. And then for the upcoming UFC 289, Hakeem Dawudu injury is out for that fight card. So let's get to Dana White's announcement as he did this the day of the Francis Ngannou signing I mean, when was the last time he announced a full card with fights that have not been leaked out or official, close to official, all in one video? You know he had to feel a certain way about uh, Francis Ngannou. Still a little bit of his thunder. I know for me, like I, if I wasn't podcasting 
right in what I'm going to talk about and thinking about this very thoroughly, I would have already forgot, especially because Francis isn't fighting for like a year anyways. He wants to box first. Uh, lots of drama between him and Francis. Francis attacked Dana on Twitter. Uh, Dana talked about it in the post-fight uh, press conference after the fight night card this weekend. I think there's a lot of um, honesty and value in what both guys are saying. I do think that um, Dana just, you know, slandering Francis a little bit to uncalled for, and I understand where Francis is coming from. Like, what's your beef with me? Um, but a lot of what the media is spinning this to be is the media doing its job, and Dana talked about how he felt about the situation in that post-fight interview. If you want to, you know, tune in and see what he says, like a lot of what he's saying is logical. Some of it could be blown out of proportion. But again, the media makes us think a lot of different things. Like I think a lot of people think that Francis Ngannou's opponent gets $2 million in his next fight. That's not true. Like the way media is even allowed to make these headlines sometimes is a joke. And that's why we got to be better. Don't be better. Bitter. Be better. Business at Buckets. The rebrand coming soon. We're going to be better. Um, but golly, man, some of these cards are, are phenomenal. Let's pull up UFC 290. And UFC 291, quickly go over these and see which one I think is better, top to bottom. I wish UFC 292 was fully announced. That card's obviously shaping up to be a great card. But we have UFC 290, International Fight Week, typically one of the deeper cards of the year, um, summertime in Vegas. We have Alexander Volkanovsky, Yair Rodriguez. I mean... I could see Alex completely waxing Yair, and I could see this being an awesome stylistic matchup for five rounds. You know, if it's the latter half, this card itself, that fight alone should be high quality. Plus, we're seeing the pound for pound pretty much number one. We have Brandon Moreno, Alexander Pantoya rematch. The flyweights, the top of the division have been showing out. Brandon Moreno's doing his thing. Pantoja is a problem. Um, and with the rematch, the first fight happening so long, uh, it's really going to be interesting to see who's who's grown and developed even further, especially Moreno, who's been in so many wars and has fought for the title. So that's a scrap that I'm super high on. Then we have Robert Whitaker versus Dracus Duplessis. I mean, I'll do all my predictions later, but I think that's kind of a lopsided affair personally. Last International Fight Week was supposed to be Jalen Turner versus Dan Hooker. They rebooked it. I, I only expect straight chaos in that fight. Bo Nickel kicking off the main of, uh, main card against Treshawn Gore. Um, it's just another test for Bo Nickel. There's going to be eyes and interest there. The fight that should be on the main card, we have Sean Brady versus Jack Della Maddalena. I mean, that is a straight scrap. Uh, Robbie Lawler in his retirement fight versus Nico Price. That's always going to show out. Then we get the Jimmy Crew alonzo Menafield rematch and potentially Manel Kopp getting a short-term fill-in. Pretty solid card. I mean, again, the top fight, the Moreno fight, the Nick, uh, the Turner fight, Crew. I mean, five for sure solid fights. Plus, you get uh, to see Bo Nickel, which is you know a good price of admission. The rest of the fights are so so. And UFC 291, we got Poirier Gaethje. That's about as certified of a banger as you can get. Um, and I would rank that above the Volkanovski fight, although both are very. Um, Valid headliners. I've already seen um, Alexander Volkanovsky beat Max Holloway in the third fight. So for me, I'm a little biased. I have not seen Poirier or Gaethje in person. Jan Blachowicz, Alex Pierre, a lot of potential. Uh, Moreno, Pantoja, I think is more of a certified fight, but I would rank it right up there with the Whitaker-Duplessis fight. 
There is potential. I could see Jan taking them down very quickly. Um, Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green, totally past their primes, but still an awesome stylistic matchup. I'd take the Sean Brady, Jack um, Della fight over that and the Jalen Turner fight over that. Same with the Paula Costa fight. There, it could be very lopsided. It could be a, a straight-out war. I expect the Stephen Thompson fight versus Michelle Pieta to be great and the Derek Lewis fight and Michael Chiesa fights to be great. So I think there's more guaranteed value in the UFC 291 card. Uh, the potential at UFC 290 plus probably the fact that you're seeing three potential champions, four potential champions if you want to put Bo Nickel in that situation. Volkanovski is a champ. Brandon Reno is a champ. Robert Whitaker could be a champ if it wasn't for Izzy. And then you got Bo Nickel. So um, very great cards. The summer is popping off. Perfect time for my rebrand as I have a lot of fun things coming over the summer. And then UFC 293 kind of low-key gets announced. Sydney, Australia. They had all of the gang promoting the fight. Tai Tuavasa, supposedly Israel Adesanya, getting the winner of the Whitaker fight. Tai Tuavasa should get a fight. Um, that's going to be a, a great time and, and a big moment for the Aussie squad. This Friday, or Saturday, May 27th, Joe Pfeiffer was um, taking... Um, or going in an event to grapple for the Fury Pro Circuit. His opponent, I believe, hurt or pulled out. Insert Gerald Mearshart, which is kind of funny. GM3, Joe Pfeiffer added. Uh, guys who just fought, that'll be fun. Wherever you can see some UFC talent in a, Fury, in a Fury Pro event, it's totally worth it. And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure you can see it on Fight Pass. The PFL doing some announcements of them their, themselves. They have announced their June cards. Um, they had the first June card announced, but they didn't announce the um, full card plus the um, um, heavyweights, women's featherweights, welterweights, and lightweights. So we'll just go over all three. PFL is kicking off with the uh, featherweights, light heavyweights for their season bouts. This is going on in Atlanta, June 8th. Uh, Brendan Lognane fighting Jesus Pineda. No, not a lot of knowledge of... Pinedo, but uh, you get to see Brendan Lognane fight. Robert Wilkinson, who just got a nice win, taking on Ty Flores, 12-4. and four. Tyler Diamond taking on Movlid Kabuilev. Um Bubba Jenkins fighting Joe Singbin. Always love to see Bubba Jenkins. Marlon Marias, Gabriel Braga taking an undefeated Brazilian for Marlon Marias in the prelims. Um, you'd almost think for any kind of benefit of Marlon Marias' UFC career, that uh, this is a must-win situation for him. Let's see what uh, this undefeated guy, if he's got any names on his record. So I'm very curious. Uh, he beat the Pinedo guy that's fighting Brandon Lognane. But yeah, not, not a lot to see there. But you're getting uh, Marlon Marias. We have Chris Wade fighting Roger. Ryoji Kudo on the first weekend. Moving into um, uh, June 16th, still in Atlanta. We have Maurice Green fighting uh, Ante Delizia. So ex-UFC fighter, um, John Jones, training partner. We have the uh, most talked about fighter in PFL, Larissa Pacheco, taking on Amber Liebrock. We have Aspen Ladd, Carolina Sobek, as she's looking to get her first PFL victory. Henan Freyetta versus Mathus Scheffel. 
Two Brazilians going at it. Jorgen De Castro is fighting Denise Dennis Goltsov. And then Julia Budd is fighting Martina Jendrova. Uh, so some decent fights happening that weekend. And then the final weekend, June 23rd, in welterweight, we have uh, Olivier Albin Mercier taking on Anthony Romero. Sadabu C taking on Shane Mitchell. The very hyped Shane Burgos looking for his first PFL win against Yamato Nishikawa. Clay Collard, Stevie Ray. Uh, Magomed Magomed Kiramov taking on David Zawada. Megomed Umaltov taking on Naib Lopez. Delano Taylor taking on Carlos Leal. So some solid fights being announced in the PFL for that June slate. So in June, not only do we have great PFL action, but we have, let's see. The Kai Kara France fight night card, UFC 289, Nunez Aldana, Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier, super stoked for that fight. Josh Emmett, Aliyah Topiria to see if Aliyah is legit. So plenty of MMA action coming down in June. And then this past weekend, we had the Devin Haney, uh, Vasily Lomachenko fight, controversial decision. I thought from what I had seen, I did not watch the whole fight. I watched the back half of the card that Lomachenko had gotten the victory. I was surprised by the decision. I'm not as educated on what had happened because I didn't watch the whole fight. I was streaming. Um, and I obviously am not as big of a boxing fan. But great fight, big time fight, huge win for Devin Haney. Um, controversial, doesn't seem like they'll run it back. Um, interesting to see one of the bigger fights in boxing for some time outside of the um, recent um, superstar showdown with Ryan Garcia. And then Conor McGregor releasing his Netflix four-part documentary. I believe it's four parts, about an hour each. And I thought it was cool. I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. You give me some behind-the-scenes content, some hard knocks, whatever. I'm all about it. I like seeing the athletes be them real versions, not the Conor McGregor that we see in the press conferences and the UFC polls. Because I'm a friend of Conor McGregor, the person, but not all that. Um, I do think a lot of this was content-pushing for him to stay relevant as he is starting to fade and taking some L's. He wants to keep his name prominent, put the documentary out. It talked about his time all the way up until he broke his leg um, from the Khabib fight, I believe, starting from there to there. So it was a good time frame. You got to see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I don't think there was anything that was mind-blowing. Um, you know, you could look back at this documentary years later and see this was some of the best times in the UFC the rivalry with Khabib, I don't know if there's going to be a storyline that outsells that situation, especially with Connor throwing a cart through the bus window and all the chaos that he did to sell that fight. But, um, you know, worth a tune in, especially if you're a UFC fan. You know, I'm not a huge McGregor fan because I feel like the UFC babied him and gave him the easy way out to sell tickets. But I am a fan of him as a father, a person, and a fighter, uh, the true person he is. It's cool to hear his story, see the things behind the scenes, his work ethic, the mentality. Just everything in between. So, And it does release some unknowns about him being injured before previous fights, things like that. So check it out on Netflix. But yeah, what a, what a week of shit happening in the MMA world. We're going to kick it right off, though. UFC Fight Night Vegas 73. I went 7-4 and four in my picks. A, fight, a couple fights we did not break down that went well. We had Natalia Silva with a round one TKO. 
She is looking high quality, man. She's piecing up her opponent. She is so fast, quick. Uh, she's a ton of fun to watch. She's a reminds me of a, another Amanda Ribas, but smaller, quicker, and mightier, maybe. Um, uh, Vakashlav Borshev with the huge round two knockout. Got a performance of the night, 50, she, 50 Gs. The Vlakashlav, I believe is his nickname. Um, great win for him, getting that um, uh, 50 Gs. I just got an update since we're on the topic. Earl Spence will face Terrence Crawford for the undisputed welterweight championship July 29th in Las Vegas. So that weekend you'll have the UFC 291 card in Salt Lake City. Also this big time boxing bout in Las Vegas. And boxing fans rejoice. The big fights are happening. It is finally happening. They got to get rid of all this gimmicky bullshit. Hopefully this is good for the sport. But we're going to kick off the fight night card in the prelims. We had Chase Hooper with the unanimous decision over Nick Fior. And boy, oh boy, Enumclaw Local, you know, me moving from the 206, a uh, big fan of the young blood. He has leveled up, especially in the striking department, but also in his confidence with the length, the jiu-jitsu ability, the, the, the um, quick twitch mobility that he has. I am super excited about the potential that this kid has, and he's fighting high-level competition at such a young age. He did move back to lightweight from featherweight, so he moved up a division to 155, says he feels better. He's a very tall, lengthy guy, so I'm as sure as his body's starting to fill out, that, that makes a lot of sense, and boy, did it look like it. Um, he was dominating Nick on the feet. Uh, he was you know, really able to do anything he wanted on the ground, and he has one of those non-traditional BJJ styles where he'll just come wizarding around, you know, lead into kicks, lead into punches. He just does things that aren't normal. When we talk about not normal for a chase fight, man, look at these numbers. 217 total strikes, 149 of those significant. He had one takedown, although he had 10 attempts, so a terrible conversion, but he got it. He had a submission attempt and a reversal. Compared to Nick's only 58 total, way less there, and only 51 significant strikes. He almost had 100 more significant strikes, but Nick did have four takedowns and eight attempts, got the takedowns, and couldn't do much with them as Chase is a wizard down there. So Chase starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 and one since the beginning of 2022. He is 4-3 in the UFC overall, and only, what is it, 25 years of age? Might even be younger. Kids... So young. 23 years of age. Let's see. When's his birthday? September. So, you know, getting on to 2024. 20, that's still crazy. Um, but 4-3 and three in the UFC. Nick's moves to 0-2 in the UFC and extends his losing streak to 2. Brutal start for Nick. I would love to see Chase take on maybe a Leonardo Santos for his next text. Just keep moving up the ladder board slowly and surely. And for Nick, if he still is in the UFC after going 0 for 2, how about Sam Patterson? That would be a good fight for him. So we started off with a nice win. I did pick Natalia. I did pick Borshev. I didn't put it in my picks, though, so I don't know. It didn't count that one. And I did pick Chase Hooper, so off to a good start. I talked about the underdogs eight in this week. And um, although the underdog did not eat in this fight, he made it a close fight. It was better than the odds had said it was. And that's kind of how I expected it to play out. It could have went either way. 
Rodrigo Nascimento with a split decision over Alir Latifi. And this is Alir moving up to heavyweight. He had fought some at light heavyweight. He's done anything and everything in grappling and MMA. He's 40-some years old. He has a tremendous amount of experience. And he was fighting a lot lengthier, bigger Rodrigo Nascimento. The only way he could get strikes was having a fury of combos to close distance. Sometimes he'd eat a couple shots, a jab coming in. Uh, he was chewing up the legs of Rodrigo, which really worked well for him. I thought he should have stuck with that even more so. Uh, but it's challenging when you're, I think it's like a six to eight reach advantage that Rodrigo had. You're trying to close distance. He could just keep that jab working, staying from the outside. And he was able to land more strikes through two rounds that really got the advantage. But uh, Ilir Latifi did get a takedown, had some great control in round two. But even when he did that, he wasn't able to mobilize a lot of stuff, a lot of grounded pound. That's really tiring. He has a bunch of extra weight on. But it was damn close. Uh, I'm not upset about the decision with Rodrigo. But Alir fought him tooth and nail and battled to the much younger fighter in his prime. Statistically, Alir landed 76 total strikes. 49 of those were significant compared to or with two takedowns in seven attempts. So not an amazing conversion, but got a couple takedowns. Compared to Rodrigo's 76 total strikes, so same on the total, and 68 significant. So statistically, he had some more significant, but uh, outlanded in round one and three that got him the decision. Rodrigo extends his winning streak to two. He is four, one and one in the UFC. Alir has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak, and he is only two and two since the beginning of 2020. He's still fighting. He only fights once or twice a year. It'll be interesting to see what he does after that loss. Uh, but I would love to see Rodrigo step up into the top 15, take on Blagoy Ivanov, another well-tenured veteran. And for Alir, if he does stay fighting at heavyweight, I think Martin Boudet would be the, make, the right fight to, to match up. And I can't remember if this was an underdog. It might have been. But Gilbert Urbina with a second-round TKO over Orion Kosi. And uh, much like Chase, man, I was just massively impressed with the, the growth that we've seen from Gilbert from since the Ultimate Fighter. He talks about being the hardest worker in the room. You could see the pure joy and emotion when he got announced the winner. Um, obviously, you know, had a TKO, but just it all hit him at the same time. And it's his first fight at welterweight. He's been um, slowly moving down since the Ultimate Fighter, getting in better shape. And I just, I was massively impressed. The hands, the grappling, supposedly when he was on top of Orion in round one, potentially injured Orion's ribs. So he was pretty much fucked after that point anyways. Uh, but massive statement from Gilbert. Uh, well improved, looking great at the new division in welterweight. He landed 100 total strikes, 51 of those significant he did have two takedowns and a submission attempt and that knockdown. And Orion landed 28 total and 16 of those were significant strikes. So Gilbert extends or starts a new winning streak, gets his first UFC win. He's one and one in the UFC with that uh, ultimate fighter finale. And Orion starts a new losing streak. He moves to two and two in the UFC since 2020. So has it been super active, 50, uh, 500 record. Definitely needs to go uh, back to the drawing board and find a way for a dub. I would love to see Gilbert take on Preston Parsons. And for Orion, how about Jared Gordon or Jared Gooden? Those are the fights to make. Excited to see Gilbert back in there. And then this was definitely not an underdog, but another fight chose correctly. Karolina Kowalsiewicz with the unanimous decision over Vanessa Demopoulos. 
and she was just all over Vanessa this fight. It's it you know we we're talking about seeing all these young guys grow, but how about the veteran really putting time in, uh, you know, changing up her game after a drought and coming out and beating high quality talent, and now is right on the edge of the top fifteen, and I'm not going to just assume I know her name, but I believe she's in her late thirties. So uh, quite the career resurgence for Kowalsiewicz. She is 37 years old. Her birthday is in October, so sooner than later she's going to be 38. And she was on a five-fight losing streak, although the best talent in the, in the world, Jessica Andrade, Michelle Watterson, Alexa Grasso, Jan Chignon, and Jessica Penne. I mean, come on, that's, uh, that's the gauntlet. So she comes back with the rematch against Felice Herrig, retires her, beats Silvana, and then Vanessa, she is back on track and looking like a better fighter than she may have ever been. Um, statistically, this definitely tells some of the story. She landed 148 total strikes, 139 of those significant. So when she was landing, she was landing with some power. And Vanessa only landed 83 total, 68 of those significant. So she doubled the significant vo volume and quite a bit more in the total strikes. And she was able to stuff the takedown. Uh, Vanessa was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts. So Carolina, like we said, extends her winning streak to 3, all since the beginning of 2022, so she has been active. And Vanessa has her 3-fight winning streak come to an end, and she starts a losing streak of her own. I think uh, for all the fight fans, this is a must-have fight for the UFC OGs. Give us Angela Hill and Carolina Kowalsiewicz a top 15 bout Two legends who's fought damn near everyone. The fact that they haven't even fought each other, I mean, it speaks for itself. Let's make that happen. And for Vanessa, how about Brianna Fortino? That would be the one to book. So some good action in the prelims. Heading into the main card, we had um, uh, uh, underdog uh, bid go sour. But damn, was it close. We had Diego Fieto with a round two knockout over Michael Johnson. Shut his lights out with the big right hand. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. Diego's showing he's not just a submission um, specialist. He's willing to go out, throw some bombs, make it happen. And boy, did he. And after round one where Michael was all over him, looking like he had two fast hands, Diego would try to come in with a one-two combo. And Michael had like four or five shots on him by the time he was able to get in and get out. Michael's hand speed is unreal. But... Um, Diego picked up on a trend every time he was doing something, he was kind of ducking down. And when he did that, he just came with the big right over landed cleanly and out instantly straight as a board, an amazing finish. But round one was fun. And Michael Johnson definitely showed he still has that ability. That's what I was putting my money on. But, uh, you, you stand there with a the guy for, you know, seven plus minutes and you're just slugging it out. Anything can happen. Diego landed 30 total and significant strikes with the knockdown. He was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. Michael landed 32 total and significant, so outlanded him even though he got knocked out through the short time. So Diego ends his three-fight losing streak, a much-needed victory for the Fieta team. Um, his first win since January of 2020, so you know it tastes oh that much sweeter. And Michael starts a new losing streak. He is 2-2 two two since the beginning of 2022. So for the veteran in as many wars as Johnson's been in, he continue, continues to stay active. Where do these guys go next? I mean, 
Shit, with a performance like that, give Diego Drew Dober. That would be a ton of fun coming off a loss. They're going to slang and bang. And for Michael, if he continues to fight in the UFC, a fight with Alexander Hernandez, that would be a banger as well. Either way, you usually put these guys on a car, on a fight card that they're going to go bonkers. Then we had another fighter in their debut for a new weight class, uh, Joaquin Buckley with a round two knockout over Andre Fialho. And uh, the first fight in the UFC for Buckley at welterweight. And golly, did he look good. He looked even thicker and shredded, more shredded than before, cutting that a little bit extra weight. He talked about he'd been cheating himself at the above weight class, eating whatever he wanted. He wanted to take things seriously and change his career. This is a fantastic performance to do that. Uh, Joaquin landed 27 total and 26 significant strikes. He even had two takedowns of his own and three attempts and the knockdown. So whatever he wanted, he was getting it. And Andre landed 22 total and significant strikes. In the first round, Andre landed his fair share of big shots as well. But Buckley starts a new winning streak after that two-fight losing streak. Welcome to the welterweight division. Falho extends his losing streak to three. He is two and four since the beginning of 2022. Just about as active as anyone, if not the most active. But two and four in his last six is tough. He'll he'll look to get back to the drawing board. I'd like to see him take on Trevin Giles. I think that would be a good matchup. And for Buckley, how about Carlston Harris or Tim Means? You know, right up there around the top 20 of the division. Those would be fantastic performances for him. And then a nice win there. You're, you're right in the top 15 in the thick of things. Then we had Lupi Godinez, a unanimous decision over Emily Ducate. And I thought Emily, as the underdog, this is one of the underdogs I picked and got wrong, was going to just be too fast and outstrike her. But she started so slow. She started so slow, Lupi was landing bigger, more powerful shots. She seemed like she had a little bit more oomph in her shots anyways. Um, but round two, Emily started picking it up. And then round three, she was able to get it. Uh, really going, was dominating Lupi in the third round on her feet. But Lupi got a late takedown in the third round that I think sealed the deal uh, uh, for, for the fight. And uh, it was just a late start for Emily as... She just looked a little too patient. She was questioning her shots. And Lupi was coming in with combinations recklessly and landing with some great power. Um, volume, Emily landed 117 total strikes. 112 of those were significant. She was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts, which was somewhat surprising. While Lupi landed 133 total, 132 of those significant while getting one takedown and three attempts. And to be honest, like, not a big volume difference over the, the course of the fight, but round one, Lupi probably threw 40 to 50 more strikes, so Emily was starting to catch up as the fight got on. But they're both young. We'll see them back at the octagon. She'll learn from this. And, you know, fighting is a lot of a mental battle. Sometimes you're not feeling the best or the weight cut got to you. I mean, there's so many outside things that could have caused a fighter to just not look themselves in there, but she just did not look her normal self, not the aggressor that we saw against Jessica Penne. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of mental battles that can go on in a fighter in their young career. That's just a big learning curve for Ducate, but I still think very highly of her and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of her in her career. So Lupi extends her winning streak to two. She is three and one since the beginning of 2022. Emily extends her losing streak to two, and she is two and two since the beginning of 2022. 
I'd love to see Loopy take on Meatball Molly, Molly McCann, Loopy Godinez, and then give me Emily Ducate and Ashley Yoder, who we haven't seen for some time if she's down to fight. She did have a fight booked, uh, withdrew from the fight for some reason last year, so I'm sure she's ready. Either way, both of these girls are fun to watch, and um, I'll be tuning into their fights for sure. Then in the co-main event, what a performance. Another fight kind of like the Michael Johnson fight. Anthony Hernandez with the third-round TKO over Edmund Shabazian. And the reason I picked Edmund as the underdog is the striking. I figured he would be able to get pick his moments, get his shots, outstrike him, leg kicks, uh, big combinations, power as well. And as long as he could avoid the takedown attempts from Anthony, he was going to get the job done. Well, what a start by Edmund, man. Rocked Anthony. I thought he was damn near going to get the finish, and I think Edmund did too because he did go for it. He, he kind of emptied the tank. Um, had some good jabs, some power combos. Had full mount in the first round after dominating with some ground and pound with a minute 20 left. Um, then Anthony, as you would expect him to do on the ground game, was able to get the sweep, got his own offensive grappling going. But the pace and volume of the, that round one just completely gassed out Edmund. I mean, when you're landed big combos like that, you want to keep them going. Then you almost finish them. You get on top, get some grounded pound. You're going for it. You're going for it. Um, you know, Edmund's young. He should be in, in really great shape. But Anthony's known for, for testing people into deep waters and, 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 and testing their cardio. And, um, you know, I don't think his plan was to get rocked and let Edmund gas, gas himself out. Um, but he was able to withstand that. Not a lot of fighters would. The mental ability to come back and just say, all right, this is what's going to happen. But round two, Anthony was all over Edmund. Edmund was gassed by this time. And in round three, was able to get the TKO. Statistically, Edmund landed 33 total and 30 significant strikes with one takedown and a submission attempt. And majority of that was round one. While Anthony landed 77 total, 63 significant, and had six takedowns and 15 attempts. So rounds two and three was just taking him down over and over. Every time Edmund got back up, he was taking him down. Um, and he did have four submission attempts. He was working that Jits game beautifully. So Anthony extends his winning streak to four. He is on a tear since the beginning of 2021. Edmund starts a new losing streak and is one and four since the beginning of 2020. So definitely, uh, you know, got thrown in the deep end, has had some adversity. But Edmund shows, continues to show that, you know, he belongs in the UFC. And at such a young age, I'm sure we'll see much more of Edmund Shabazian. But for the next opportunity, let's give Anthony Jacker Manson Fluffy and the Joker. That would be a great matchup. And for Edmund, how about Gerald Mearshart? Give him the veteran who's had a little tough go coming off some losses as well. A uh, great opportunity for both fighters to get back in the win column. Then the main event of the evening, the fight of the night. Mackenzie Dern, unanimous decision over Angela Hill. And I can't say this enough. But the amount of fighters that just showed that next level, they went from Super Saiyan 1 to Super Saiyan 3. Mackenzie Dern did that. She talked about being strategic and game planning rounds and coming away with rounds and winning on the judges' scorecards. Well, Angela Hill pushed the middle. Mackenzie was not backing down. And she was pushing Angela Hill back to the cage, forcing her with big shots and combinations, takedown attempts, on the ground, she was landing a ton of ground and pound, was transitioning well to submission attempts, 
back to ground and pound. If Angela was able to get up against the cage, she she would let her separate, land some big shots, get back in there, get the job done. And you could tell there was moments where Mackenzie Dern was just getting after it, trying to finish the fight. How many minutes and how many strikes was Mackenzie full mounted or on top of Angela? And you could just hear, ha, ha, just fucking crushing down on Angela Hill, trying to get that finish, multiple submission attempts. That's just the, the durability and the mental fortitude that Angela has. Probably one of the tougher minds in all of women's MMA with all the, you know, the experience and durability and things that she's been through. But the cardio improvements that uh, Mackenzie has shown, you know, obviously she had a baby. She, she's gone through a couple different life moments. She talked about her divorce pretty heavily here. And she talks about gaining muscle this weight, getting a little bit bigger into the octagon in a healthy way to cut back down, look a little stronger. It seems like whatever she was doing was the perfect formula. But I got to imagine the personal life things, which if you ever contract the fighters well enough like I can to see the personal life things and how that plays, that could definitely weigh on fighters for a fight. But although she's going through a messy divorce, how good did it feel to have a smaller amount of people in your corner telling you this and that, being able to do what you want to do, stick to your game plan and prepare for war I think that definitely paid dividends, probably a cleaner mindset coming into here and a breath of fresh air. And she had her daughter in the apex watching the fight for, I believe for the first time. So uh, I'm sure it was a lot of emotions, but golly did Mackenzie Dern show out the rest of the division. Watch out. I mean, these numbers are bonkers against Angela Hill of all people, 247 total strikes, 126 of those significant with three takedowns and nine attempts had the knockdown. And she landed some clean shots to Angela that are putting most people out. But Angela's in amazing shape, amazing cardio. I mean, to take 247 uh, shots, nine takedown attempts, three takedowns, all those things, like, that just shows you how good a shape she is in herself. But Angela landed 94 total and 66 significant. So Mackenzie starts a new winning streak. She moves to 2-1 since the beginning of last year. She does move up one spot in the rankings to number seven. And Angela has her two-fight winning streak come to an end. She does start a new losing streak. She is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2022. So she's been active as well and stays at 14 in the rankings. So uh, before I even, because I watched the fights back Sunday, I, I went golfing Saturday during the fights and had a little pool party. Getting that tan on, you know what I mean? But before I even knew this, I had this written out like, Nobody knows what Rose's ETA is, where her men mentality is right now, and her, her fiending for a fight. I was already thinking that would be a great matchup, but the Mackenzie Dern asked for it. I mean, come on. That would be a great test for her, a great return fight for Rose. Uh, if you're looking at a you know winnable fight matchup compared to her level, I I I'm down for it. I mean, Mackenzie's fighting everybody. She's in her prime. She's doing her best, and uh, it looks like she's uh, going to continue to move up the charts. And for Angela, she has fought almost everyone, it seems like. So again, give us the OG fight. Give us her versus Carolina. And if not, maybe Luana Pinheiro. That would be a lot tougher fight for her, in my opinion. So let's let's give the two OGs the matchup. But yeah, what a great fight night card. You know, pretty deep. Had a couple underdog bids. Didn't quite hit them all, but still looked good. I mean, although I missed the Edmund fight, the Emily fight... The Diego Fiera fight, those were this close to going the other way. Even the Latifi 
Elir Latifi fight split decision. So it's not like I'm just saying underdogs all the time to say it. You got to beat the odds sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But uh, this weekend, Memorial Weekend, no MMA action in the UFC at least. I don't believe there's Bellator or PFL either. Um, but June 3rd, first weekend in June, we have a deep UFC Apex event headlined by Kai Kara France, Amir Al-Bazi in the flyweight showdown. The last Business and Buckets podcast next week, previewing that fight. Then the rebrand's on. Stay tuned for all the news coming out. I'll be posting everything on the socials, uh, the names of the podcast, the intro songs, all that fun stuff. So stay tuned. Lots of good things coming. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.